Listen to God's word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Having heard God's word, let's come to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the work that you have done, drawing us out of darkness into light. Lord, we thank you for the hope of the gospel that Jesus, our Savior, lives and intercedes for us. Lord, I pray that this gospel message would be clear as we hear it in your word, as we have sung it together, as we have recited it in the creeds, as we have heard it read in the scriptures. Lord, I pray for those that gather with us that don't know Jesus as Savior, that today would be a day in which they hear the hope of the gospel. Lord, for those of us that are your children, that follow after you, Lord, strengthen us by the power of your gospel. Lord, let us hear gospel hope, but Lord, let us see the need for obedience in our own hearts, our own lives. Lord, strengthen us to do this work. Make us as a church bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Make us as individuals fervent in our excitement to talk about Jesus. Lord, let the work of the gospel go forth through our ministries. Let us be the ones who will speak with power, with boldness. Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We can imagine the reactions from Paul's listeners. He said that there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. So we can imagine some of the listeners hanging their heads in shame, seeing the fruitlessness of their own lives. But we can also imagine, and this is the way Pastor Brian Chappell describes the scene, we can also imagine some of Paul's listeners shaking their head in disbelief. Really? Is the apostle this out of touch? Does he understand the culture in which I live? Has Paul walked down the streets of my city? Does Paul know what he's asking? Not even a hint of sexual immorality? Not even a hint of impurity? Not even a hint of greed? He's out of touch. He doesn't understand. They might shake their heads. Because they, like we, lived in a, in a culture filled with greed and sexual promiscuity, filled with, with idolatry of pursuing after their own hearts and desires, and so we too might be tempted to think. Really? We might be tempted to shake our heads. And like the Ephesians who would, who would wonder, Paul, do you know what it takes when I step out my door just to get to my job? Do you know what I walk past? Do you see the, the sexual promiscuity around me? Do you see the, the temple up on the hill? Do you know what happens there? Do you know what's expected of me to complete my job? Paul, do you have any idea what it would be like to live like this? 
And so for those of us whose heads hang in shame, there is hope here. The hope of the gospel. For those of us who would be tempted to shake our heads, there is the power of the gospel. Did did you see the contrast that the apostle makes? The image that he uses of darkness and light. Of darkness describing how we once lived. But now we are called to be children of light. Look look again at at verse 8. Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Do you hear what he's calling us to do? Live as children of light. Lift up your heads. There is forgiveness. There is hope here. Stop shaking your heads. Stop doubting the power of the gospel. There is power here. There is light shining into darkness. And so as we look at this contrast, we're really just going to look at that, the darkness and then the light. What, what is the darkness that he describes? It's, it's, it's what came before this. I mean, our, our section began with that word for. It's connecting it to all that's come. Paul's, this is, this is one continuous argument. We're breaking it up into little pieces so that you don't have to listen to a 12-hour sermon all at once. We're wanting you to, he, to hear it, but, but Paul's argument continues throughout. For you were once darkness. And so don't live in the darkness. What are the deeds of darkness? That's what he said in verse 3. What we've already heard. It's sexual immorality, impurity, greed. It's the language of verse 4, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. Paul is saying that is a life of darkness. And we, we see the contrast that he builds, this, this contrast of what you once were. You were once darkness, but now you are light. You were, but now you are. He's, he's drawing the, the timeline for you of what your life looks like. It's the, it's the same contrast that he's already made in, the, in Ephesians. Turn, turn with me back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, this, this rich and beautiful passage about the grace of God poured out on us, the amazing grace of God. But it begins, it, it, it's, it's set in the same structure. Once you were, but now you are. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all of those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. You hear the description. It's as shocking as the description of darkness. It is a description of death. You were dead. But, but it continues. Look at verse 4, that rich and beautiful word, but because of God's great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you hear the beauty of the contrast? You were dead. You are alive. You were darkness. You are light. It's the contrast of what you once were with what you now are called to be. And Paul is calling us to step away from the deeds of darkness. And how does he describe those? Look at verse 11. We're commanded, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. 
Now, Paul is, is picking up on this imagery now of, of, of a tree bearing fruit. He, he says in verse 9, the, the fruit of the light. And the contrast here is the fruitless deeds of darkness. The fruitless deeds of sexual immorality, of impurity, of greed. He continues in verse 12, For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Paul is saying, there are some things that I'm not even going to write down. Now, he's already been rather explicit with us, hasn't he? I mean, verse 3 is very explicit of what is demanded of us. And yet he says, he says, there's even some things that I'm not willing to say. It would be inappropriate for me to even mention them by name, but you and I know what they are. You and I know, because we know the darkness of our own hearts. We know those shameful secrets we would want no one to know. Those things we've kept hidden away, things that we don't even want to think about or deal with, those are the things that Paul is saying have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. There is only their shame and punishment. Now, you, you notice what Paul is doing He's talking to the church. But it's a church that lives in a depraved culture, a culture that, that really says anything goes. Whatever works for you, live that way. A culture that, whose influences would trickle into the church, and that's the danger that can happen to us, isn't it? The danger that the standards of the world... And so, so you might ask, well, well what would be too far? How far can I go into this darkness? I mean, where's the line? Should I draw the line here? And how close can I get to this line? Do you see what Paul is saying? Have nothing to do with it. Get away from it. It's darkness. There shouldn't even be a hint. If, if you're standing there at the edge wondering, you're probably too far. But you're thinking, but, but don't you understand where I live? How am I going to even have a conversation around the water cooler if I don't know what happened on last night's episode? How am I going to follow along if I don't have that bestseller in my hands, if I don't, don't know what's happening? Paul's saying, have nothing to do with it. There shouldn't even be a hint of that. And so you and I need to, need to protect ourselves. We need to be looking for, verse 10 tells us, what pleases the Lord, running from the darkness. But, but the contrast isn't, isn't, isn't really with what's out there in the world and what's in here in the church, is it? No, Paul is much more personal. Look again at verse 8, at, at how shocking it is what he says. For you were once darkness. Notice what, he, what he's not saying, what, what he doesn't say. You were once in darkness. Now that's true. You were once in darkness. You lived in a world filled with sin where other people sinned against God. But that's not what he says, although that is true. He actually says it much more forcefully, doesn't he? You were once darkness. You see what he's saying? Your identity, the purposes of your heart, the things you were chasing after were so oriented toward yourself and away from God that you could be described as darkness itself. There was no light in you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, we've heard. 
See, the problem is not merely what's out there. The problem is what's in here, in me. I was once darkness. But you hear the contrast that the apostle is giving to us. Verse 8 again, you were once darkness, but now. What you once were, but now you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. If you've put your trust in the Lord, if you've put your hope in the Lord, if you have followed after Jesus Christ, then you are light. Yes, you are called, the scriptures tell us, to walk in the light, but you are light itself because God's light shines through you. And so what is the command? Live as children of light. Now, we've seen the, the negative reasons to avoid immorality. It's because it's darkness, it's dangerous, it's shameful, it's harmful. But, but now Paul is also giving us the positive reason to avoid immorality, to turn from sin, to, to follow after God. It's because you are light. It's because of who you are, what has been done for you. And so live as children of light. You have been pulled out of darkness. You have been placed in the light of the Lord. You yourselves have been made light, and so live as children of light. You have been transformed. You see, what Paul is saying is become church who you are. Become Christian who you are in Christ. This is what is true. You have been made light. You have been radically transformed. Everything about you is completely different through what Jesus has done for you. So now live as children of light. It's a call to do what God commands, to, to pursue, to, to search out what pleases the Lord, to fervently follow after him. Why? Because you're his child, because you belong to him, because you want to please him, because you're part of the family, because this is who you are. At the core of who you are, you are no longer darkness, you are light in the Lord. And so Paul, we look at verse 9, tells us then that our lives should show forth the fruit of the light. Now, we're perhaps more familiar as a church with the fruit of the Spirit. It's the language Paul uses in, in Galatians, and his list there is longer. And so it goes better with songs that you sing and, and music that you learn. But, but it's the same thing here. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the light. And he gives us here in verse 9, look there, the, a, a list. It's a brief list, but an important one. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, as one commentator reminds us, is not, it's, it's not a mere niceness. It's not that you're pleasant to be around, although that does make it easier on people. No, it's, it's a radical generosity, a care for other people. It's looking out for their good, for their best interests. It's, it's giving sacrificially because of what you have received. Righteousness is, the, is living in right relationship with God, living in right communion with Him. It's a life of, of integrity where what you say you believe, who you claim to be, matches with the way you're actually living. You are light, so live as a child of light and truth. Truth that comes to us. Now, now that, that one raises for us perhaps a, a big question, one of the, the biggest questions we could ask. Whose truth? What is truth? Because you and I culturally live at a moment in which which that seems like it's something that should be negotiable, right? What's true for you might not be what's true for me, we're told culturally. We should just let everyone live however they want. But I want to ask you, really? No, really, at its core, how would you define truth? 
Who gets to choose? Who gets to, to write the standards? Who gets to, to orient us? Because as a Christian, we, we, should be, we should be glad to say, who gets to tell me what's true? The Lord. What he says is true is true. His word tells me what's true. Now that might sound old-fashioned or, or narrow-minded to you, but, but really, seriously, what is truth? What foundation do you have in your worldview? It, does it ultimately just come down to, well, it's kind of what's, what feels right to me? And, and then how do, you, how do you adjudicate between between what you believe and what I believe? How do we figure out who's right? Because if it's just up to us, then I'm right, and you're right, so maybe it's whoever shouts the loudest. Is that, is that who wins? No, really, what is truth? How would you figure it out? Because at some point, you're going to want to tell me, well, no, I definitely disagree with that. But why? By what standard? At some point, you're going to want to tell me, no, you have to stop there. At some point, you're going to think my rights to do whatever I want stop somewhere. It might, it might merely be as my fist gets closer to your face, you're going to say, well, you at least should stop there. See, as a Christian, I don't, I don't think it's narrow-minded to say that, that truth, truth comes from God. Truth is what pleases the Lord. Truth is what He declares. I think that's the only way to get a firm foundation. It's really the only way to answer those big questions of, of what is truth, by whose standards do we live. See, this gives us a real place to stand, real resources for, for obedience. We're being called to, to live lives that conform to the truth of God's word, to do what pleases him. We are being told, become who you are in Christ. And so Paul uses this contrast of the darkness and the light, because what does light do? Look at, look at verse 11. Why are we being told to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness? Because we are, we are meant to be light to expose the deeds of darkness. You and I, by living lives that please the Lord, by living in, in a life of generous goodness to others, a life of righteousness in right relationship with God, a life of declaring the truth, even when other people want to push back. You and I are, are showing shame to be what it is. We're showing sin to be what it is. We're showing the, the ugliness and the sinfulness of sin. Because when, when sin goes unexposed, there is no love there. You're letting a person walk into dangerous waters. You're letting a person harm themselves. And, and we've seen it even in the news. The reports of powerful men whose hypocrisy is exposed. And, and powerful men on both sides of the, the political or religious spectrums because hypocrisy is in each of us. But what, what does it take? It takes exposing that shame, calling it what it is. It is sin, rebellion against God. And so you and I are called to expose the deeds of darkness, to be light. Because what does light do? Look at verse 13. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. All right, now you've known that since you were a little kid, tall enough to, to stretch up and, and push that, that light switch up as a toddler. Light casts away the darkness. That's why you maybe still want to have that nightlight in your room so that it's not completely dark. Because what does light do? It, it pushes out darkness. Things exposed by the light become visible. Now, tourists who travel to see the, the world's best preserved ancient mosaic in the Gala Placidia Mausoleum in Italy regularly write poor reviews because they're disappointed. 
It's, it's this gorgeous mosaic on the ceiling of this mausoleum depicting from the early centuries of the church, depicting Jesus as the good shepherd and the night sky above you are these brilliant, vibrant colors of little glass tiles, the, the, one of the best preserved, fully intact ancient mosaics. But despite its beauty, people generally walk away disappointed because when you go in to visit, you're cramped in this tiny, hot space with all these other tourists and it's dark because the way you keep colors vibrant is to keep the room dark. And so the pictures in your tour guide look nothing like what you're straining here to see. And the way that, that the mosaic is lit is by spotlights that will come on at random, unpredictable intervals for merely a few seconds. But then for a brief moment, all of the beauty of the scene unfolds before you so that those that are there when the lights come on write rave reviews. One visitor describes the experience when the lights come on for a brief moment, the briefest of moments, the eye doesn't even have time to take it all in, the eye casts about. But the dull, hot darkness overhead becomes a starry sky, a dark blue scene with huge, shimmering stars that steam startling close. Ah, comes the sound from the room. And then the light goes out. And again, there's darkness, but now it's even darker than it was before. See, it's that simple lesson that light makes things visible. And you and I are called to be that light. In some people's lives, you may just have a moment, a moment where they have that reaction, that reaction of awe, inspired by the glory that they see of the gospel that you proclaim. Or it might be an opposite reaction, a reaction in which, which the light that you shine into their light exposes the shame of their life, their rebellion against God, and they step back in horror. But that, too, is part of the gospel, where they see the truth of who they are. They are darkness. Because the role of Christian obedience, the role of Christian witness is to provide light to people living in darkness. Paul will actually make that point coming out of this passage, and, and we'll see it next week. We'll read it then, but, but, I, but I don't want to go past it without mentioning it today, too. Look at the, the way the passage continues, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do you hear what he's saying? Make the most of your opportunity right now. Shine the light right now. Expose the darkness. Expose then the glory of the gospel. Display the, the grace of Jesus Christ. Make the most of every opportunity. I mean, again, that's why in your bulletins, we're giving you a separate invitation for you to take and give to somebody, to bring them to Fallfest, connect them to the church. But more than that, did you notice? What's the date of this event? It's the 27th for Fallfest. That's not the day that people normally put on costumes. Why didn't we do it that day? Well, maybe because it's easier, perhaps, to get volunteers on a Friday night. But no, really, because where do I want you to be on that day? What's the one night a year that, that strangers come out of their house, walk door to door, and introduce themselves to people in the neighborhood? When children will come to your door dressed in, in the, the, the costumes of, of, Halloween, of, of characters and superheroes and princesses, I want you home on the 31st. 
so that you can be light into darkness. No, I don't mean you have to have some, some giant display of inflatables on your front lawn just to outlining the whole story of Jesus Christ, but, but maybe, just maybe, you'll get to talk to that neighbor who lives two doors down who's lived there for a decade and you don't even know his or her name. Make the most of the opportunity when your neighbors walk out of their doors, walk over and say hi. And honestly, I think you'll be surprised at how willing people are to talk about the gospel. Repeatedly, over the last several weeks as I've been praying for, for gospel opportunities, God has just been kicking doors open. I, I was sitting with, with a couple of my teammates after playing hockey. One of them, brand new, this was the first game he'd ever played with us, figures out, you know, what I do, and he's trying to sort out, like, wait, you, you like, you're the guy who stands up at the front of the church and talks to people, and then you come play, like, hockey with us? Like, what is going on here? And, but we get talking about it. One of my other friends says, well, Kevin, why don't you explain it this way? And I'm thinking, I didn't even know he was listening three years ago when we had that conversation. He's, a, I don't think either of them believe the gospel. He's sharing the gospel with the other friend because he's heard it from me. I did nothing, really, honestly, except sit there. Make the most of every opportunity. Everywhere. There are opportunities for you to share the gospel, for you to talk about the gospel. I, I sat with, with Fred this week at the Mary Campbell Center, and there was a, a student volunteer there. And Fred and I got talking about something that had happened here at church, and we got talking about the, the silly illustration I had used several weeks ago that you all got to hear. And so we just talked through it with the student volunteer sitting there with us, making the most of the opportunity, because what was my conversation with Fred about what was important to us? The gospel, and so other people are going to have opportunity to overhear. Make the most of every opportunity. You, church, are light in the Lord. So shine forth that light. Because what, what is Paul saying? He's saying, verse 13, that lesson that we've known since we were toddlers, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And then he continues in verse 14. For it is light that makes everything visible. Okay, let me, let me read those again. Because it almost sounds like Paul's just unnecessarily repeating himself. Verse 13, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. 14, for it is light that makes everything visible. Yeah, I had it the first time, right? But, but commentators point out that, that it's, it's not mere repetition. What is, what is the difference? There's, there's actually a power at work here. Verse, verse 13 just gives us the, the basic physics lesson. Light makes things visible. Verse 14 is saying, and that light, the light of the gospel, actually makes it possible, makes change possible. For it is light that makes everything visible. And so then Paul then will quote then from what appears it must be just an ancient hymn, a hymn of the early church. Now, it's, it's introduced with the, a similar way that Paul would introduce Old Testament scripture readings. And yes, the language is, is in alignment with Old Testament passages, but it's not a quote. It's likely the church doing what Paul tells us they're meant to do in verse 19. Again, we'll see this more next week. The church is meant to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And so what has the church done? They've taken Old Testament truths. They've taken New Testament proclamation, and they've created a song for the church to sing. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Those are the words that you and I have already been singing today. Glory, hallelujah, Jesus is alive. It's the language of the church in song proclaiming the hope of the gospel because it is light that makes things 
that makes everything visible. There is actual power at work in the gospel. Jesus himself is at work. I mean, the, the language of transformation is, is the, the, this light and darkness theme is used by Paul elsewhere, describing that work of the gospel. And to the church in, in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 4, we, we read this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? The light of the gospel radically transforms your life. That's what we have in our passage. It is light that makes everything visible. Or again, Paul will, will tell the Colossian church a, a letter that has many parallels with our Ephesian letter. In Colossians 1, we read that that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. God has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, this early church hymn that Paul wants them to sing, maybe this was a favorite that they sang. Maybe it was a song that they sang upon his departure, but he had worshiped with them. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Do you hear what he's saying? Wake up, turn from your sin. You were once darkness, but you are now light. Turn to Christ, and the light will shine upon you. Wake up, O church. Listen to the gospel. And so this is a call to you. If you have not put your trust in Christ, do it now. Do not wait. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. The hope of resurrection, you've been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the power to transform us. This is the power for us to live as children of light. That the light himself is shining on us. Because think of how Christ describes himself. He's the one who stands and says, I am the light of the world. He is the true light of the gospel. Jesus is the one who shines light in. And how? Not merely by entering our darkness, although he did that. Jesus walked in the steps of sinful humanity. But more than that, Jesus, the light of the world, took the darkness upon himself. Those moments on the cross when physical darkness displays the supernatural reality and darkness falls over the earth. The darkness of a cold tomb with the stone rolled in front, the dead body of the Savior lying in darkness. Why? Because he took your shame. The shame of those things we won't even mention. He took that shame and he was punished for you. He died so that you could be made alive. He became darkness so that you could become light because bursting forth from that cold, dead tomb, Jesus is alive. This is the gospel which empowers us, which motivates us, which, which enables us to live lives of, of obedience, of goodness, righteousness, of truth, of, of, of morality and purity and generosity. This is the gospel message. That Jesus Christ, the light of the world, entered our darkness, became darkness for us. And so church, church, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and the light of Christ will shine upon you. So live as children of light. 
Let the light shine into darkness. Let the world see the truth of the gospel. Now, if I asked you, which city in the world was the first to be electrically lighted? The whole city lit up. Is it Paris? Maybe New York. I mean, think of, think of the, the, the skylines that you've seen. Maybe it's one of the, the other great cities of the world, but it's, do you know? Wabash, Indiana. It was your next guess. See, the, the plan was to take, this is 1880, 1880, 1880, the plan is to, is to light the world. The problem is no big city is going to embark on this kind of foolhardy scheme of taking these cantaloupe-sized light bulbs and placing them around their city. These things which are dangerous and could possibly explode, a, a radical fire hazard. And so the inventor decides, well, I've got to start small. So he picks Wabash, Indiana, still a small town today. The first city to be lit. The plan was to illuminate the, the whole town. Light would, would stretch half a mile in all directions from these enormous bulbs. Now, people were, were in panic. They were writing, writing letters to the editor of the newspaper thinking that, that our chickens will never know when it's time to sleep. They will run around until they die. Everything, the world will be turned upside down. This will cause chaos. Now remember, this is, this is at a time when you could stand in the heart of Manhattan and look up and see the Milky Way. Because all there were were gas lights. And on full moon nights, the gas lamps got turned out because that was plenty bright enough. Now people, as they gathered by the thousands to see the lights turned on, Suddenly, from the towering dome of the courthouse, this is the way a newspaper describes it, burst forth a flood of light. A flood of light which under ordinary circumstances would cause a shout of rejoicing from the thousands. But no shout, however, or token of joy disturbed the deep silence. People stood, overwhelmed with awe, as if in the presence of the supernatural. Men fell on their knees, groans were uttered at the sight, and many were dumb with amazement. They contemplated the new wonder in silence as lightning brought down from the heavens. Now, you and I may chuckle at the foolishness of people without light bulbs. And yet, think of it. The analogy here drawn by a newspaper article to the supernatural, but what do you and I have Actually, literally, you are the light. And yes, will it cause chaos? Might people fear their chickens will run to their deaths? Maybe, because it, it's going to throw the world out of order. This light exposes the shameful deeds of darkness, but what does it do more than that? It exposes the glories of the gospel so that people will fall down on their knees at the sight, standing, kneeling in the presence of God himself, Jesus, the light of the world calls you light. He has made you light. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. 